This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. We are uh, going to be looking the next few weeks at our, at our mission together, and uh, I, I certainly feel the challenge today. And uh, the challenge I feel on behalf of all of us here today is that today is the most bloated, sluggish Sunday of the year. I mean, nothing compares, and the first service is evidence of that, all those folks. Now, I'm, I'm assuming the folks in the second service wouldn't be that way. But, uh, you know, folks come in full of food, uh, full of videos, full of board games, full of football, full of shopping, and, uh, and just the, the corporate ugh, was just there. So I'm assuming that the second service is going to pull it out, and this is not the most bloated, uh, sluggish Sunday of the year. Um, but uh, just in case, uh, I'll talk loud to wake you up here today. We're going to take a few weeks and talk about our mission together at the uh, end of this year, and we're leading towards two weeks from now. So, which is December 12th, and uh, that Sunday we're going to have an opportunity to uh, give, uh, again, we do this once a year towards our, our building fund called our Generations Fund uh, for building a property uh, together. This is kind of a temporary one for us, but we're thinking long term here. So that's where I'm going a little bit today, going to talk about that, and then the next two weeks I'm going to talk about our mission together. So we're going to have kind of three Sundays and then on the 12th. December 12th, they have an opportunity to give. And then really, December's an opportunity to reach out a lot. We've got Frisco Square, uh, Mary Main Street next week. Um, we also have the Christmas service on the 19th, and then a Christmas Eve service as well. So lots of opportunities coming up to invite folks in that we can communicate the good news of the gospel to in the next few weeks. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 136. And uh, this psalm was written antiphonally, which means... It's a responsive reading. So the way this probably happened originally was it was sung. It's a, it's a, it's a song. The psalms are sung. So probably what happened was a soloist uh, or maybe a choir would sing a line, and then the congregation would sing back in return. And uh, so we're going to uh, do something like that. I'm not going to sing a line, uh, though that would wake you up, I assure you. But I'm not going to sing a line. I'm going to read a line and then have you repeat the second line. Now, you're going to see very quickly in this psalm, you're going to, it's going to be easy to memorize your line. If you know it one time, you know it. It's, it's a line you're going to repeat all 26 verses. So I'll read a phrase, and then you respond reading uh, the response that is in the verse. And uh, this is a psalm about Thanksgiving. So we're talking about Thanksgiving week. Uh, we're talking about giving thanks for what God has done for us. And this psalm uh, enables us to do that. So... We're going to read together. Why don't we stand together uh, in honor of God's word and uh, sh to show reverence for uh, his word today. And we'll read through this together. Psalm 136, we'll read the entire thing. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. 
to him alone who does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. God, we gather today and we give you thanks. We thank you that indeed your steadfast love endures forever. We are so grateful to you today for all that you have done. And we pray that our eyes would look to you, that our hearts would be stirred by you, that our our souls would overflow with gratitude for what you have done. Lord, and all joking aside, we pray that you would give us alert, alert minds and uh, you give us ears to hear and and wills to do what you're calling us to do. So, Lord, I I pray you'd fill me with your spirit to proclaim your truth today in a way that will serve the folks gathered here. We trust you today. Meet with us, our God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it wouldn't be too hard to know that this psalm has something to do with his steadfast love, which endures forever, you may have heard. Uh, That's a repeated theme throughout uh, this, this psalm is the, the steadfast love of God. Now, this word steadfast love, we talked about it about a month ago. We read a psalm that talked about the steadfast love of God. And we talked about the fact that this is just a single word, hesed, in the, in the Hebrew text, the original text, the steadfast love. And it means mercy or love. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. Um, 
It has to do with God's faithfulness. You, you could say it this way. If we were to translate it with two words, we might say it's his faithful love, God's faithful love. And behind this word is the idea of covenant. God makes a covenant with his people. God is faithful to his people. And that's called his steadfast love, that he chooses a people for himself and he promises to be faithful to them. Even if, if they're not faithful, and we're not, even in our faithlessness, God is faithful and that's his steadfast love. So when the psalmist comes to think about God, he thinks about God's sustaining, faithful love to his people. He goes all the way back to creation. He talks about his, God's redemption. He talks about his provision. We're going to look at each of those in a minute here. But God is a God who has steadfast love for his people. This is a psalm that calls us to give thanks. Calls us to give thanks for what God has done. Now, I know I said that we're doing three weeks about mission uh, and next week, I'm going to talk about having a heart for those far from God. Uh, the next week, I'm going to talk about the Great Commission. But today, I just want to talk about thankfulness because it really starts with looking at what God has done for us. When we think about mission, we should first of all be looking to Jesus Christ and considering who he is and what he's already done in our lives as we desire to take that to others who don't know him. So this is a psalm about thanksgiving for what God has done. Look at verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. And then that's the implied introduction to all the statements that follow. Uh, look at, uh, you know, verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. I mean, implied there is give thanks to him who struck down. They just don't repeat give thanks every time until the last verse. If you look at verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. So it's a psalm about giving thanks, looking back over history and seeing the steadfast love of the Lord which, is, which runs through our lives. The story of your life is written by the steadfast love, the hand of the steadfast love of God. And that's what this passage really emphasizes. So, he first of all gives thanks to God the ruler. Number one, God the ruler. That's verses one through three. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Then what does he say in verse two? Give thanks to the God of gods. Verse three, give thanks to the Lord of lords. He is the God of gods. Now, is the psalmist saying there really are a lot of different gods? Well, no, he's not acknowledging that there are really many gods, but he's writing into a world that believed in polytheism. He's writing in a culture where people would often believe in many gods, not the Hebrew people, but the surrounding nations would. And so he's saying among those so-called gods, he is the God above all. He is the God who rules over all. Not only does he rule over all the gods, but he rules over political rulers. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. A Lord is a political ruler, and he is the Lord over every king, every ruler, everyone in authority. So he's starting out this psalm saying, give thanks to God because he is supreme. Give thanks to God because he rules over all. Give thanks to God because God is in charge. There, there's a, uh, a theological word for this called sovereignty. God is sovereign. What does that mean? It means he is the ruler of all rulers. He is the king of all kings. He is the God of all gods. And he, he rules over every detail of our lives as well. That's where we want to start with thanks. We always want to start recognizing the supremacy of God, the rulership of God. See, even if we thank God for a provision, which likely we did, 
Think about last Thursday. Perhaps you were thanking God for things. Even when we thank God for something he supplies, we're ultimately thanking him because he's the God over all. He's the one who rules sovereignly. He's the one who's provided for us. Or even if you thank another person, ultimately that thanks goes back to God. Now, you don't say that to the person. You, you don't say, well, thank you. Well, well, really, what I mean to say is I'm thanking the God of all gods and ruler of all rulers who made it possible for you to do that for me, so I'm thanking you, but I'm really ultimately thanking God. I mean, you don't have to get into some awkward thing like that. Just say thank you. That would suffice. But the truth is, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So even what someone else has done, we can thank them, but the ultimate source is God himself, because he rules over all. So thanksgiving starts with recognizing his rule. Secondly, the psalmist thanks God as creator, verses 4 through 9. Thanks him from his rule, for his rule, and then thanks him as the creator. Look at verse 4. To him who alone has done great wonders. Well, what are these wonders? Verse 5. To him who by understanding made the heavens. Verse 6. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. Verse 7, to him who made the great lights. What are those great lights? Well, verse 8, the sun to rule by day. And verse 9, the moon and stars to rule over the night. So he's pointing out that this great God, we can thank him for, he created everything. I mean, when we look at the creation, it announces something to us about God. It announces, first of all, his power. For the Bible teaches that God spoke and everything was created. God spoke, and the heavens came to be. The earth came to be. God is all-powerful, and he creates with his wisdom. That's what uh, verse 4 says. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 5. By understanding, he made the heavens. We have very limited knowledge. I mean, just dip into astronomy a little bit, and you'll see how little we know and how small we are. The vastness of the universe. We know just a fraction of the reality of, of what there is to know about the universe, but God understands it all and spoke it into being. And that same God that spoke into being this vast universe is the same God who superintends and oversees the details of your life. He has this vast understanding of the great universe, and he has this vast understanding of the small details of your life. God cares for us his steadfast love endures forever. The God who created the heavens is a God of steadfast love for his people. When we see, he talks about the sun. When we see the sun rise, the sun to rule the day, verse 9, the moon and stars to rule over the night. When we see the moon and stars out night, it makes a statement to us about the steadfast love of God. I was up early this morning. It was dark when I got up and I saw uh, out my back window, was able to see the sun rise early in the morning. And you know what? That's a statement of the faithfulness of God because the sun rose yesterday as well. And the sun rose a thousand years ago and five thousand years ago. And the sun will rise a thousand years from now if Christ hasn't returned. The sun will rise again. The sunrise, the sun to rule the day, shouts to us, it preaches to us about the faithfulness of God. That's what James 1 says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Well, what is that? We read right here. He's the one who made the great lights, the Father who created the heavens. The Father of great lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
the, the father of the lights, the God who created the lights, there's no change in him. And those lights speak that truth, announce that truth to us. God doesn't change his character. His steadfast love is towards you today as it was yesterday and as it will be tomorrow. And one demonstration of that is that the sun rose again today. That's why we sing these lyrics that may be from this psalm. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. The song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, gets it right. Here's what the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is saying. That the sun and the moon and the stars, we see them in their courses, and they give witness of God's faithfulness, His mercy, and love. Your steadfast love endures forever. And we see it even in creation. So we see it in His rule. We see it in creation. We perhaps see it most of all, number three, in God the Rescuer. God the Rescuer or God the Savior. Because that's what He talks about next. He starts with God's rulership, then God as creator, then he goes to God the Savior, or God the rescuer is how it's presented here. Verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Israel. I'm sorry, the firstborn of Egypt. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Now what is that talking about? Well, he's talking about the time that uh, the people of Israel were enslaved. They were under Pharaoh, they were slaves to Pharaoh, and uh, they were trapped and God said let my people go let them come to the land that I'm preparing for them so that they will can worship me and Pharaoh refused and God began to bring plagues on Pharaoh and on his people um, just representing his power over their gods and uh, Pharaoh refused and refused and refused until finally there came the plague where the firstborn were struck down in Egypt and Pharaoh relented and said okay the people can go God released the people and brought them out his people brought them out of Egypt verse 11 he brought Israel out from among them verse 12 with a strong hand and an outstretched arm verse 13 to him who divided the sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea see what he's saying is that they he they released the people Pharaoh released the people then changed his mind and the army of Israel of Egypt chased after Israel they got trapped at the Red Sea they were boxed in And what God did was split the sea so the people of Israel could make it across the sea. Then the the army of Egypt followed after them to chase them, and he made the waters come back. And Pharaoh and his armies were destroyed in the Red Sea at that point. But God rescued, God delivered, God was the Savior to his people. And what stands out in that section, his steadfast love, he's giving thanks because God did all of this. There's no mention of what Israel did. Israel didn't free itself. Israel didn't conquer Egypt. Israel in its brilliance didn't come up with a way to sneak out of Egypt. Israel in its power didn't find a way to challenge Pharaoh. Israel did nothing and God did everything. God worked on Pharaoh's heart. God destroyed the army that was coming against his people. God freed his people all by his power. And that's what's being celebrated here. God is the rescuer. Thank God who freed his people, says says the psalmist here. But that matters to us as well because the freedom out of Egypt, the exodus is what it's called, the exodus is, is a picture of our salvation as well. 
See, we were all, as Christians, we were all enslaved to sin. We were all trapped and enslaved to sin by our own doing. We weren't a slave of a foreign ruler like Pharaoh. We were enslaved to our sin. And God rescued us. God sent Jesus, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who gave his life. God sent Jesus, who lived a perfect life and then died on the cross as the one who would forgive us of our sins. Jesus paid the price for us. God poured out his judgment upon Jesus for our sins. So Jesus, if this is new to you, get this. Jesus died as a substitute in our place for us. And that is the glorious news. We could not save ourselves. Just as Israel was helpless, we were helpless. We couldn't be a little bit better and save ourselves because God's standard is perfection. He's a holy God that requires perfection, and none of us live up to that. So we all deserve judgment because of our sins. But he sent Jesus to die in our place and take the judgment and forgive us of our sins. That is glorious good news that we were helpless just as the people of Israel were helpless. But God broke in and rescues us. He gives us a new heart. He gives us faith to trust him, to believe in him. And he gives us new life in Jesus Christ. And so we give thanks today not only for what he did many years ago in in Egypt, but we give thanks today that we've experienced deliverance. You see, in the Old Testament, the Exodus is the great event of salvation. (coughs) Throughout the Old Testament, excuse me, they point back to the Exodus. But the Exodus points forward to the great event of salvation in the New Testament, which is Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. From first to last, salvation is by grace alone. It is not God does his part and we do our part. It's not God helps those who help themselves. It's not be a better person and be a Christian. It's helpless people being rescued by the powerful Savior who comes into our lives when we're opposed to him, when we don't care about him. The Bible says we were his enemies, and he comes in and he loves us, and he opens our eyes to this truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And he turns our heart to him and forgives us our many sins and relates to us by steadfast love forever. If you're a Christian, you know the love of God forever. He will be steadfast towards you for all eternity. He will never let you go. He is the rescuer. He is the Savior. And so the psalmist says, thank you. Give thanks to the one who has freed us. The the, the fourth thing he talks about, and lastly, is not only God the ruler, God the creator, God the rescuer, but God the provider, we might be able to say. He makes provision for his people. Verse 16, for to him who led his people through the wilderness. That means after they were delivered from Egypt, they were in the wilderness for a generation, and God cared for his people. His steadfast love was towards them all that that time. Verse 17, to him who struck down great kings, verse 18, and killed mighty kings, um, and verse 21, gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. Okay, what is this talking about? Well, what the psalmist is saying, they're gathering, they're remembering, they're singing this song, 
and they're celebrating the steadfast love of God. They're thanking God because he not only created everything, he not only rules over everything, he not only delivered their people so they're no longer slaves, but he provided for them a place to live out their faith and ultimately a place to build a temple. That was the point of the, point of the promised land was that they ultimately could worship God freely. And so they were brought there, they built a temple where the worship of God took place. And God sustained them in the wilderness and God brought them into the land. Now, he did that by knocking off these kings, these enemies of God. He, he allowed Israel to defeat these people so that they received as, an, as a heritage, or the NIV says an inheritance, this land, this promised land. It's a really big deal in the Old Testament. The theme of the promised land, the theme of the gift of the land is dominant in the Old Testament because it is God's provision for his people to live for him. He promises it back in Genesis 12 to Abram, who becomes Abraham. He promises, I'm going to give you a land. And he's faithful to that. He gives his people a land. And they worship God in that land. That is part of their history. That's part of their story. It's part of the testimony of the steadfast love of God caring for them. Now, how does that relate to me today? Well, as Christians, we don't have a land. In other words, we're not looking to a spot that we all live in together. Christians are a part of every tribe, race, tongue, and people, the Bible says, Christians are Jew and Gentile alike spread all over the world. So we don't have one particular land that we all gather in. Were we to, I'm sure it would be Texas, but we don't have that. I don't have a verse on that, so I can't prove that. But it's just kind of my unsanctified suspicion. Um, So we don't have a place. We're everywhere. And we don't have a temple. There's not one place that we go visit and worship where the presence of God is uniquely there and where sacrifices are offered, we don't have a temple. Rather than a land and a temple, the Bible says that in the New Testament, it is the church that God builds. It is the church, the people of God that are his provision. The church is the people, not a building. It's the people of God, and that is the provision of God, not a land and a temple in the New Testament. Here's how the New Testament says it. It actually says that that we are the temple. That the temple is not a physical building, but the temple is the people of God. Listen to this in 1 1 Peter 2. You yourselves, Christians, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So he says what God's doing is not giving us a land so that we could have a temple. What God's doing is he's saving people and he's putting them together in families, the church, and he's building us one stone on another. So as we've been talking about community, the way it works is we're joined and fitted together and God dwells in us. We are a spiritual house. We are a temple to the Lord. That's what the New Testament teaches, which is a wonderful truth. And, and in the New Testament, Jesus is not going around knocking kings off and giving their land to the people of God, but he is on a mission. And this is what it says in the New Testament. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is, there is forward momentum. In the Old Testament, the people of God were coming into their land. God delivered them and they battled through and came into a land. And we're on a mission too. 
Not for a land, but God saved us, put us together, and we're seeking to communicate the gospel to those who don't know Jesus Christ. And so there's this forward momentum of the gospel advancing to reach people who need Jesus Christ, who don't know him. And Jesus says, I will build my church. He's not talking about a building, but a people. I will build my people together. Just as he opened up our eyes, he's opening up the eyes of others. And he's building us together as a people so that we gather and say, great is your steadfast love. Thank you, God of gods, Lord of lords, creator, rescuer, who rescued us from the slavery of sin and brought us not into a land, but into your people so that we could be the temple of God for your worship. See, we all have a story. What we just read in, first, uh, in Psalm 136, that's history with a capital H. That's the history of salvation. God rules, God creates, God rescues out of Egypt, God knocks off the kings, God gives them a land, an inheritance. That land is an inheritance. That's the history of salvation, and we're all connected to that history. If you're a Christian, you're connected to that history, but you have your own history. You have your own personal history. And your history is this as well. The steadfast love, his steadfast love endures forever. God has chosen you. God has saved you. God is with you. God is working in your life. God's going to hold on to you till he returns or till you die. God's never going to let you go. Why? Because his steadfast love, his commitment, his loyalty to his people is more powerful than our disloyalty to him God holds on to us that is your story as well God's steadfast love is the a to z of our lives when the psalmist reviews their history they see the steadfast love of God in his people that's true of us as individuals and that's true of us as a church as well as grace church God has been faithful to us see we have a story it's sort of a short story we've only been around for about five years Five years ago, most everyone in the church knew no one else in the church. That, that's typical. I mean, some people knew some people. But most people knew no people that are in this church right now. And so in five years, God has gathered and brought people together. And uh, he hasn't split seas um, and drowned armies, but he's actually done something more miraculous than that. He's taken dead hearts and brought them to life. That's a greater miracle New life in Christ is the greatest miracle of all. And he's done something else. He's taken new hearts and he's joined us together in community so that sinners are learning to love one another and get along with one another and build community together and live in unity. I I argue that's a greater miracle than seas parting. Seas parting because God tells the sea to part and it does it. God tells us to obey and we say no. But God still works in us. And through us. So it's a glorious truth of all that God is doing in our history. He has been faithful. In the recent weeks, we've taken a number of weeks and I've taught on the theme of community and God working community. And in a number of those messages, uh, I just tried to highlight what God's doing in our church because we want to give thanks, just like the psalmist. We want to give thanks for the salvation history? Absolutely. But we want to give thanks for what He's doing here in our midst. We're to be a thankful people, recognizing the hand of God. So we recognize the things I just said, that God's put us together in community, that he's building our lives together, that God has created a unity in our midst. It's not a perfect unity. It's not a flawless unity. But, but I want to say it's an unusual unity. We have experienced in our church 
a unity, and that is the grace of God. We, we dare not say, look what we accomplished. We, we have a unity because God is at work by His Spirit in our midst. And I want to commend you for cooperating with Him. The Scripture says that, you know, that God is the one who, who makes us one, but it also says we had a whole message on the theme that we're to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So we're to maintain what God creates by His Spirit, and we're to do that by living humbly, walking gently together, being patient with one another, bearing with one another. These are the ways that we, by God's grace, are to maintain what he's built of a unity. But, but I just want to step back and say again, thank you, Lord, for your steadfast love, which is seen in the unity that we are experiencing. And pl Lord, please sustain that in our midst for our testimony, for our testimony of the work of Jesus Christ. He's building a unity. He's enabling us to maintain that. I, I thank God that he's done a fresh work in many of our lives where uh, folks in the church are taking an interest in the spiritual lives of one another. The, the physical lives as well, provision as well. But uh, thank you for taking an interest in how your brother and sister are doing with the Lord. That's what we're called to do as a community, is to take an interest because one's well-being is our well-being. We're to weep with those who weep. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to, Ephesians 4, grow up together in him. We're to mature in him together. And God is doing that in our midst. He's growing us up together, and I thank him for that. Last week, I taught uh, on John 17 about... This section where Jesus says, by your unity, because you are one, the people of God, because you're one, uh, the world will see that and know that Jesus Christ is real, that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. That's what John 17 talks about. By your love for one another, John 13, by your love for one another, they'll know you're my disciples. By your unity together, they'll know that God's the Father sent Jesus the Son on a rescue mission to save us. So there's this announcement we make to the world when we love each other and when we're one. We have an, an, an opportunity to, be in a, to witness to the world about the work of Jesus. I, that, I preached that message. I'm not going to re-preach it, but I, I talked about that last Sunday. By Sunday night, I had heard of two events in the life of our church, uh, both social events, both not, not official events in the life of the church, just something somebody was putting together in the church. And in both instances, they communicated in their invitation to the event, you know, bring people that don't know the Lord to be with us that we might have a John 17 moment. They were saying, we're getting together socially for this function, but don't let it just be us as Christians. Bring someone that doesn't know the Lord so that they would be able to observe the work of God in our midst. I mean, I heard that Sunday night. I got home at whatever time it was, one, two, I don't know when, but I got home early afternoon, probably by dinner, four or five hours later, I'm hearing that kind of application of the message. That's just what I knew. Who knows what else happened? So that... Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for helping us want to respond. Thank you for responding to the word of God. So grateful for that. But God has been very good to us in our history, and God has also been good to us in that he has provided for us all of these things, and he's provided a very tangible gift as well for us as a church. And if you're new, you may not know this, but God has provided for us the gift of, of land, not, not land like there, not salvation history. We're not going to battle with any nations and building a temple. But God has provided for us land as Grace Church. Um, and the land is over in Frisco Square um, at the heart of our city. And if you're new here, again, that may be news to you, but in the summer of 2009, so almost a year and a half ago, we closed on this land. 
Um, and we, we had to put together a preliminary site plan to get approval from the city. All that happened. And then we closed on this land. And here's an amazing thing. When I think about the steadfast love of the Lord for our church and, more importantly, for his mission to reach the people who don't know the Lord, I think about the gift of this land and what it means. I mean, it really is at the heart of the city. The land is right behind City Hall where the parking garage is, is going up where we will park when we build there, God willing. So the city is building our parking lot right now. A few other people are going to use it during the week, but uh, I view that as a gift from the Lord so that we don't have to go out and buy a lot of land and pave it so that it sits open all week, a paved lot, unused, but only on Sunday. We don't have to buy land. We don't have to pave. They're doing that so that we could use a parking garage. And then we have this, this piece of land right next to it. And here's the amazing story is that a Christian developer who's not a part of this church, but I've got to believe God put this on his heart for our city, is that he bought land right there in Frisco Square, bought a development of land right next to the city hall, and he felt, obviously, uh, he felt that he wanted to see a witness there to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he sold most of his land to some developers who were building townhomes, who will build there, densely populated a densely populated area, and he saved this one little section right up front next to City Hall, and he saved that for a church because he had a heart that at the heart of the city there would be a gospel witness, a place where the people of God could gather, a place where the gospel could be proclaimed, a a sort of a, a base, an outpost for the gospel where people could gather and then be sent out to reach out a post, uh, an outpost for the gospel, a gathering place where the gospel could go forth at the place where in our region people gather from all over North Dallas. People gather in this area. People come together in this area. And he saw and realized there's a spot where a lot of folks are gathering, where this city, Frisco, is establishing kind of as its ground zero. It's hospitality ground zero. When our city opens its arms and says, everybody come together, it's at Frisco Square. That'll happen next Saturday for Mary Main Street. All throughout the region, come and celebrate Christmas here. The lights are up, the whole deal. So when they want to open their arms to the city, the city of Frisco welcomes everybody to Frisco Square. And so this developer saw that and realized that this is going to be the spot, and he wanted a piece of land for a church. And it's a long story, but providentially we connected with him, and he gave this land to our church to build there. We've been in this building since uh, January or February, so this was a temporary spot for us until we could build over there a long-term and a permanent spot. But as we think about our history together I mean, we cannot think about our history as a church without thinking of the wonderful provision of God to give us a tool to reach out with the gospel like that land where we will one day, God willing, build a building there. In the next couple weeks, I want to talk more about that opportunity, but today I just want to put the pause button on. And in the midst of all the celebrating that's going on and all the thanking God, I just want us as a church to thank God afresh for putting that on someone's heart and for the financial cost that was to their company to give it to us and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for a spot where we can have greater access, where we can be a more accessible witness so that we can connect with more people that need the gospel. Listen, there's kind of two ways of outreach 
taking the gospel and we think in the Bible. Uh, one is go and tell, and this is primary. And what it means is we go into our neighborhoods, we go into our families, we go into our workplaces, we go, uh, we go wherever God sends us, and we take the gospel to people. And then there's the example of come and see. Go and tell and come and see. Andrew meets Jesus, finds his brother, and says, come and see the Messiah. Last week we talked about John 17, the unity of the people of God or a witness to the people of God. So there's a come and see what God is doing. So there is this go and tell and this come and see aspect. And I don't know of any greater come and see spot in our city than Frisco Square. That's our come and see what God is doing. Not in a building. It's not a building, though there will be a story of God's provision for us to build there for sure. But it's the people inside. It's the people inside that God is at work in that is a come and see. Listen, I want to invite you out next Saturday. I know Pete already did. um, To Mary Main Street. Uh, The care groups are taking slots to serve. Uh, The community groups are taking slots to serve at Mary Main Street. They're now called community groups. Um, So you may be there with your community group. But I want to invite you to come out and just look around at at the gathering of folks that will be there. There will be thousands of people. And these kind of things happen regularly, not this big. But regularly, people are gathering. I I want you to come and please serve, meet people, talk to them, look for an opportunity. If the Lord opens one up, to talk to them about the Lord. We're going to be giving out things while we're there. We'll be a booth among all the booths that are there. But just come and at some point, step back and just take it all in. The the ground zero, the welcoming spot for this, this city. And in some ways, more broadly. It's also an accessible spot, not only to our region, but it's an accessible spot at a micro level to that community because there's going to be thousands, I don't know the final number, but several thousand townhomes and apartments built right there. It'll be the most densely populated area probably of our city and the only one that we have now that's pedestrian friendly that is an entire community where their goal is to live and to work and to eat and and to worship, we would add, right there. And so it's a pedestrian-friendly, a pedestrian-driven community. That is unique. There's no place where you can plop a facility in the middle of a pedestrian-oriented uh, community, a multi-use community. Kind of a, it's kind of a, a faux-urban community, really. It's more of an urban idea where there's dense population. It's just that it's in the midst of the suburbs, so it's not really urban, but it, it kind of has that feel. And so that's strategic. Gatherings of people in a city are strategic places to be because of the close access that you have to people. So we trust God will give us community there in the midst that we will have ways to access and reach out and serve those folks. I mean, I pray that we have community groups in Frisco Square. I pray that some of us would live there in Frisco Square or that we would meet people and reach people that are there in the heart uh, where our building will be. So it's a gift from God that I just want to say thank you to him for. It's also a gift not only because of accessibility, but it's a gift just because it provides something for the long term. The name of our building fund is Generations Fund, and the idea is we, we felt like those who are in this generation in the church are called to invest for future generations. And by future generations, to some degree, we mean people that aren't born or are young, but we also mean even people that aren't here. Depending on which numbers, I've seen a wide variety of numbers. But um, some of the numbers that would indicate are, are this, that about two in every three people that will live in Frisco aren't here yet. So the city's about one-third built out. 
One-third. Two of every three people that will call this home in the future aren't even here. Some of them aren't born. Some of them are young. Some of them are working somewhere else, and they're about to find out they're going to get transferred here. Some are going to come because their parents are here or their children are here or whatever. But God's going to bring a lot more folks here. At least that's the plan that the city has. And so this is a spot that will be enduring. There's a lot of kind of hot spots in our area that will probably come and go. But one area that will, will, will stay would be the area where the city has plopped itself down, where the city has built its city hall, where the city has established the town square for the region. That area will endure as long as anything around here will endure. And so we want to be at a place where we can invest in building a place for the worship of God for future generations. A building doesn't guarantee that because you put a building somewhere, it doesn't mean the gospel is preached. That is the work of the Spirit. That is the work of faithful people who will pass the gospel on to the next generation regardless of where you gather. So that's not a building-driven thing, but it is wonderful to, to have a place where faithful gospel ministry can be for generations to come. I feel like some of us are investing into ministry that will outlive us, that will, that will, that will be a generation that some of us won't see. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. So in two weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you an opportunity. Annually, we do this in December. We're going to give you an opportunity to give to our Generations Fund. And also, if you're a member of the church, or even if you're not, but we're primarily asking our members, uh, if, if, you would like, if you would please look ahead and sort of project and pledge what you feel the Lord's calling you to give in 2011. Because we like to get in those pledges so that we can, for budgeting purposes, look ahead. The timing of this project is totally tied to the funding of the project. So we honestly don't know when we will break ground. That will be tied to our, our funding to, to do so. So we're asking that you would please pray. Here's a couple of things you can do. First of all, let's just thank God. Let's spend time thanking God for all that he's done for us. Let's thank God this coming week. Let's not allow Thanksgiving to end right now. Let's thank God for what he's done for us as a people, what he's done for us individually, what he's done in our church, what he's done in your family. Let's live with thankful hearts. Thank God for what he's done in your community group um, and in the church. So let's, let's continue to thank God. Let's secondly pray about how we might be involved. Pray about how you might be involved. And here's, a, here's an idea I'd like to toss out. I'd like to encourage you to walk in Frisco Square and pray at some point between now and the 12th. Could you or you and your spouse or you and your friend or you and your kids just walk down there? Go at night when there's a ton of people down there and you can just see what's going on. Just walk and pray. Lord, just pray for a future gospel witness there, that God would enable us to be established there, that God would enable us to minister there. Walk the square and pray and see how God speaks to you. Um, also, come next Saturday out to Mary Main Street. That's another thing that we invite you to do. Also, on your way out, uh, you, get, you can grab one of these brochures, uh, Generations. Hey, Craig, that looks a whole lot like the brochure we gave out last year, but the colors are different. Well, it's true. It's very similar. There are some differences. Last year, it was blue. This year, the sun is rising on our project. 
Actually, I'm not sure which is, this is facing. It might be setting. If it is, don't tell me that. I don't know the facing of the building. That may be setting, but that's bad metaphor. So it's rising. The sun is rising on our project. Uh, he puts the sun in the, we got a verse on that. He, he put the sun to rule by day, and it's coming up, we're believing. So you can get this on the way out. In here is a pledge card that on the 12th, I will have extras of those, but you can come prepared to give uh, on that day or to make a pledge as well for the coming year. Okay, here's, lastly, here's the last point of this verse. Last verse of this chapter would be a better way to say it. Verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. I love how practical this is. He starts with God of gods, Lord of lords, ruler of all. He goes through creation. He goes through redemption out of Egypt. He goes through coming into the promised land. And we talked about what that means for us to to be the people of God on mission for God, with God. And then he goes to verse 25, who gives food to all flesh. Very personal. He created everything. And when you go eat lunch in about three minutes here, God's going to provide that lunch for you. Very, very practical. And then he lifts our eyes up again. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Look with eternity in view. The God who rules in heaven, heaven the dwelling of God that we will spend eternity with him. We look ahead to heaven and we realize his steadfast love endures forever. God is going to hold us. Boy, hold on to that truth. God is going to hold you, carry you, lead you, guide you into his presence to the day you see him face to face and worship him for all eternity. The God of heaven, when we look to the future, to seeing the God of heaven, it is his steadfast love which endures forever, which is our great hope to get us there, to carry us there, God's to walk with us faithfully until then. His steadfast love endures forever. There coming a day when there's not a day of thanksgiving, Uh, There's coming a day when there will be ceaseless giving of thanks before his throne as we see him face to face. And his steadfast love is our great hope of that day. Let's pray. Father, we worship you today, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the ruler of all. We thank you for your steadfast love. Every one of us have a story here as believers. God, our story connects to this story that you, the ruling God, the creating God, that you redeemed a people for yourself, saved your people out of Egypt. You brought salvation in Jesus Christ and saved us and brought us into your family, the church of the living God, where you all over this planet are building people together in local churches. Lord, we're so thankful to be a part of that. We're thankful for your mission that you are going forward with the gospel and that the gates of hell will not stand against your purposes. We're so grateful that you are fighting those battles, that you are granting new life to people that need you. Thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for this season, Lord, of the reminder of thanksgiving, and we pray that we would live lives characterized by gratitude and by confidence in your faithfulness, O God. Lord, guard us from grumbling and complaining. We pray that when grumbling would rise to the surface, that it would be replaced with gratitude to you for what you've done for us. And we pray about our future, Lord. We thank you for the the overwhelming gift of a spot in the heart of our city. And we just pray, God, that you would get us there in your timing and in your way. And, Lord, it will take amazing provision, Lord, that's beyond what we have. But we just trust you that you will provide in surprising ways. 
that you will soften our hearts, that you would grant generosity in our hearts that we might give graciously and freely because of your purposes and for your glory, God. We just trust you for that. And we just look forward to what you have for us. Lord, we pray that we don't just wait till that day, but we pray today that you would make us a light in the darkness, faithful friends reaching out to those who need a Savior. Oh God, this season, would you please bring new people into the family of God that we have prayed for and shared with. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.